Real leaders leave a legacy. They capture the hearts and minds of their teams. Their origin story puts the safety and well-being of their people first. Great companies ubiquitously have safe yet productive operations. For those companies, safety is an investment, not a cost for the C-suite. It's a real topic of daily focus. This is The Safety Guru with your host, Eric McCroskey, a globally recognized ops and safety guru, public speaker, and author. Are you ready to leave a safety legacy? Your legacy success story begins now. Hi, and welcome to The Safety Guru. This is your host, Eric McCroskey, and today I'm very happy to have with me uh, a gentleman that has an incredible career and incredible experiences in safety, um, and I want to have him share a little bit about his journey and, and some of his key learnings throughout his career. So today I have with me Brian Humphreys, and um, Brian, thank you very much for joining us on The Safety Guru. Uh, well, thank you, Eric, and uh, thanks for inviting me on your show. Great. So maybe if you can share a little bit about your incredible background and story in in, uh, in the safety space. Okay, well, um, I left school when I was 16 to, to go into a steelworks as an apprentice, uh, apprentice fitter. And um, at the age of 20, I finished my apprenticeship in the UK. Uh, if you didn't get an apprenticeship by the time you were 17, um, you didn't get one. So uh, <laughs> during the apprenticeship, uh, we were released to go to a technical school once, one day a week for four years. Uh, when I finished my apprenticeship, I got married right away at tw- ripe old age of 20 to the love of my life. <laughs> and uh, I uh, continued to work at the steelworks uh, where my fa- father, grandfather, brother and sister along with 13,500 other employees. Um, it was a fully integrated steelworks, which means it went in at iron ore at one end and came out at strip steel at mm-hmm. the other end. Uh, Margaret Thatcher entered the European uh, uh, Union in the late 70s, mm-hmm. and uh, steelmaking began its re- restructuring. Um, unfortunately, uh, the steelworks where I worked was an old plant, and uh, 10,000 people lost their jobs overnight. Uh, it, it no longer made steel. It, it uh, processed uh, steel from other plants. Mm. Um, I had an opportunity to, to come to Canada. Uh, they were advertising uh, at the mine in Flimflon. And um, I had the interview and came out in April of 1981, along with my wife and two children. They were aged four and seven at the time. And uh, there were 73 other tradespeople came along uh, from the UK uh, at the same time, well, within a year of one another. Uh, for the first eight years in Flin Flon, I, I uh, was an industrial mechanic. Uh, I was involved in the Health and Safety Committee and uh, was also a union uh, uh, recording secretary for the International Association of Machinists Union. I then uh, got promoted to uh, work in the uh, health and safety uh, department as a coordinator. Wimus was just coming on stream. They needed uh, people uh, for trainers. Um, I also spent uh, eight years in the volunteer fire department and has had uh, my team and obtained my uh, CRSP uh, in uh, April of 2000. Uh, so I had approximately 28 years in, in the health and safety uh, 
um, profession uh, before retiring in April of 1997. Hmm. So, so uh, tell me about your your experience um, in the safety space. I, I think um, one one of the areas you've written a book on on one of um, one of the key learnings around the explosion, but also a couple of other things. I'd love to to hear a little bit about your story of going through. A, 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 an event of that nature, the, the explosion that had happened in, in Flin Flon. Um, I believe you were on shift at that point in time uh, when it occurred. Such such experiences are a, a great opportunity to learn from. Um, so I'd love to hear a little bit about your story there. Absolutely. It was uh, the, the worst the worst night of my life. Um, and uh, and it was uh, one of the worst experiences anybody could uh, imagine. Um, the maintenance shutdown uh, of the reverb furnace uh, in the smelter was uh, fairly routine. It, it had been done, and uh, the, the furnace was built in the, in the 1930s, and uh, it was made of refractory brick, which needed to be replaced every year, and. Um, so it was a it was a routine uh, job had been mm-hmm. done many many times before, and uh, over the years, um, better methods of controlling the furnace temperatures, um, better uh, refractory uh, bricks, yep. uh, extended the life uh, of the furnace. So it went from a, an annual event to uh, a two year event, and then a, eventually a three year event. So. The the expertise and the and the people that were involved in uh, in the teardowns and rebuilds, um, the, the experience uh, was um, being lost somewhat over over time, and people were retiring. So that that, that was one of the impacts of uh, of the um, uh, of the process. Um, the furnace uh, was shut down. Uh, at seven o'clock, it was a planned event mm-hmm. for, for ten days, and um, there was a lot of um, uh, high expectations going into the shutdown that it was going to be done safely on time, and and uh, right. everything was going to go to plan. Unfortunately, at uh, about two o'clock uh, in the morning, uh, there was an explosion. And the, uh, the 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 cause of the explosion was determined to be the amount of water that was uh, being used uh, to wash down the the beams and the uh, the top end of the uh, furnace uh, mm-hmm. in preparation for for the demolition. Um, it was uh, an absolutely devastating event for the community. We had. Four air ambulances flying uh, that evening to take the critically injured to hospital. Uh, one mm-hmm. unfortunately passed away of his injuries eight days later. Uh, the the uh, you know three the other three individuals are very badly burnt. Uh, there was forty three um, uh, cases uh, filed for workers' compensation. Twenty eight uh, uh, stress related. Uh, and uh, and in, well, 28 individuals lost time from work. Uh, the wow. furnace was shut down for uh, 
it had been planned to shut down for 10 uh, days and it was two months before it was put back into operation. Hmm. Um, Horrible. The company um, pleaded guilty to one count under the workplace safety and health regulations. And in part of that, uh, they wanted to spare the families and the community the ordeal of going through a long, uh, drawn-out trial. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were ordered to pay the maximum fine at the time under law, which was $150,000, uh, which, you know, is a pittance compared to uh, the right. overall uh, cost in terms of human suffering and and cost of production loss and credibility. Um, although uh, safety programs had existed at the time of the explosion, they were not deemed to be uh, adequate. And uh, there was nine recommendations uh, that came out of the inquiry uh, right. in regards to the changes that needed to take place uh, for any future shutdowns. And the investigation team conducted a 40, conducted 46 interviews uh, and produced a 710-page report. Mm-hmm. Um. The uh, the following shutdown, which took place uh, five and a half years later, uh, used no water whatsoever uh, in the furnace. You know, up until the 2000 shutdown, water had been used for washdowns every right. during every shutdown prior to that. And so, how how did it impact your perspective? Um, so going through such an event like this, having been in, in safety for 28-odd years, um, how, how did an event like this impact your perspective on the importance of safety, um, but also how, how accidents can take place? Well, there's, uh, there's a number of things I, I, I took away from it. And uh, one of the things that uh, is, is that... Um, you know, you never stop learning, um, you know, and, and things that were once common practice uh, can become totally unacceptable. And, and I use the example of smoking on airplanes. Um, <laughs> I remember those I think days. it's a fair example because it, yeah. it was an acceptable practice at one time. Mm-hmm. And uh, today, if anybody uh, would have a cigarette on a on a, an airplane, people would be absolutely mortified. And um, using the use of water around the furnace was was an acceptable mm-hmm. practice. I mean, it it uh, it was a planned, as I say, it was a planned event. It was part of the schedule. It was you know um, it was in line with of what the what the expectations were. Uh, when the explosion occurred and the the, uh, the ramifications uh, of it uh, hit the community, you know everybody said, well, "You know that wasn't a great idea." Or, you know why why are we doing this? Mm-hmm. It seemed obvious uh, after the event, right. uh, not so obvious when uh, when the event was occurring. And I wonder, you know, what what we do today uh, right. in the workplace, which will consider, be considered in the future. Uh, totally unacceptable, you know. Yeah, and I'm sure I think that that's things. yeah, and I think that's well said because there's a lot of, of of standards, expectations that were accepted at one point, and and at some point people realize it was really never safe. Were there some clues early on and before it happened that maybe this wasn't the best way to to proceed, and and it's possible that 
we don't know that. Um, but w was there a way that it could have been prevented through learning from small, small steps, small actions? Well, the, the the washdown was a was a preventative measure. It was it was um, put in place to reduce the amount of eye injuries and uh, improve the conditions around the demolition. Uh, there was um, always um, a, a great, you know, the area was a very dusty, hot area. Um, there was lots of um, material calcined dust. They call it. It's uh, it's a uh, roasted concentrate that uh, is used to go into the furnace, the, the feed. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot, <clears throat> there was a lot of um, uh, dust on around the area that needed to be uh, disposed of. Now, you know, right. um, water, as I say, had been used since since the 1930s. So it, it seemed like the you know, and, and the 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 actual task of washing it down was done with fire hoses. Mm -hmm. uh, the 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 amount and the quantity of water was that was used uh, was 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 questionable in terms of the volume and uh, and right. how much was being applied. But obviously, it had been possible to to do that type of activity without consequence. Mm -hmm. And I've seen this similar settings in in other shutdowns where you get normalized to certain pieces and then it's a, some variables are just a little bit more and then something uh, gets out of hand. So, so this, your story is similar to that. Uh, I've heard some others that turn into uh, to fires, et cetera, just because it became almost too normalized and people went a little bit above the spec and hadn't really understood kind of what the limitations were and, and something catastrophic happens at one time. Uh, are, are there any key learnings that you'd like to share with, with listeners around your 49 years of experience, because uh, that's that's a lot of experience, a lot of different settings, um, and you you must have seen a lot of different incidences on top of this one. Well, I, I think, you know, by, by example, you, you can do the wrong thing and get away with it, and you can do the right thing and still get hurt. You know, I've seen that over the, the course of my profession where people have been um, <clears throat> been hurt and, and they they, they 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 were in the wrong place at the wrong time or they uh, they they certainly uh, were were doing you know what they were supposed to be doing right um i've talked to people and i've you know that, that and i uh, did lots of interviews with people uh, after accidents and i've done accident mm -hmm. accident training with supervisors and you know a moment of indecision or a lack of concentration can lead to a lifetime of, of regret. Of um, course. It's, it's something that, that happens so, so quickly mm -hmm. that uh, when people get uh, when, when get injured, um, the um, other things that I've, I've noticed in, in my experience, there seems sometimes to be in uh, conflict between education and experience in the workforce uh, tell me more and, and i and i think um it, it's unfortunate uh, you know i i respect both i respect uh, people that are well educated uh, mm -hmm. and uh, i i also have a great deal of respect respect for the experience that people have gained uh, mm -hmm. you know through, through the work that they performed um 
I use I use an example in the book uh, that uh, kind of reflects a little bit on that. Um, it's um, I think we're moving in the right direction, uh, but we've got a, a long way to go. Um, we shouldn't limit ourselves uh, on things that we we know and we can do. We uh-huh. we need to challenge ourselves uh, as as much as we can, and um, we shouldn't fear change. We should embrace it. Um, those, yep. are, those are some of the key things that I've learned. Uh, and, and the number one, I guess, is you never stop learning. Yeah, there's, that's a, that's very well said because there's so many different things. Just even the story you shared before really illustrates this. I, I loved your your point around focus as well. Um, uh, in terms of all it takes is is a, a second, and you have um, regret for a very long time. And often, too often, what I've seen is is people who think. It's not going to happen to me, and so they, they don't realize the extent of that that little moment of focus that really can happen to absolutely anyone. Absolutely, uh, and and uh, I, I in my twenties uh, I, I had no fear of heights, and, and this is probably as good as an example as, as I can use. <laughs> and, and you almost feel invincible. I, I worked on the crane over yep. the crane crew. Um, you know, we we often didn't tie off or, or even have uh, uh, you know tie off things <laughs> and, <laughs> and lanyards to tie to but uh, you almost felt like um, you, you were invincible and I think yep. if you grow older um, you start to get uh, a little bit more uh, respect to the environment that you find yourself in and I, mm-hmm. and today I'm, I'm, I'm not uh, I'll, 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 I must admit I'm not I'm not good with heights uh, <laughs> nothing like I was when when I was in my early twenties. So, yeah. Um, yeah, there's certainly that aspect to it. Uh, in your book, you talk a little bit about culture and, and what are some of the signs around culture, some of the challenges you've seen, and the importance of culture when it comes to to safety. Well, I think uh, people we um, and and. Everything I'm talking about now is is just from my perspective. So, culture to me is um, how we do things around here. You know, the the, the normal, uh, and 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 that could be a good thing, or it could and uh, and, and a positive thing, or it can be a very negative thing. Yeah, and um, but people can get swallowed up by an organizational culture. Mm-hmm. Um, they can um, cultures uh, can change over a period of time, but it's, it, it's a process. It takes it, it, it takes it, a lot of time. It takes a lot of time. Once yep. once you've got a negative culture in the work environment, it's not an easy fix. It's not something that you can just wave a magic wand and the next day you've got <laughs> and feel. I, I wish it was that simple. Pardon? I wish it was that simple. Yeah, um, and. The way I would measure uh, a cultural environment that needs to be uh, looked at closely is uh, in terms of um, high turnover, um, yep. high incident rate, uh, absenteeism. Uh, you know, those are those are kind of key indicators that uh, you know the the needs of um, lots of grievances filed. You know, on time. Yep. 
that's where uh, people aren't getting along as well as they should be, and uh, and it's creating an environment where people uh, don't want, want to want to be. Um, so it's subtle. Uh, it's um, it in it certainly impacts morale, and and yep. it also impacts safety in the bottom line. If, it does. Uh, if the cultural environment isn't uh, what it should be. And I, I think your point is very good there in terms of really that, that connection between safety and the bottom line. I, I, I think these things are integrated. I like your, your examples of uh, signs that something's wrong from a cultural standpoint. The fact is everybody's got a corporate culture and, and you've, you've, you've inherited the one you've got and, and it can be changed. Uh, but there is no such thing as I can buy a good culture or a bad culture. It, it's really a, it, it, it is what you have, and then you've got to start shaping it and informing it. Um, but I love the, the precursors, the signs that you can see that something's a little bit off and definitely have seen similar things like in construction, as an example, where you can have very high turnover in certain areas. Um, um, and and other, other sites, work sites, will have almost no turnover. And the, 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 the difference can be actually extreme and like for like, same region, same type of work. Um, I've seen anywhere from... Two, two construction sites side by side uh, where one turnover is probably 2% or so or less and another one is closer to 20 or 30%. That's a substantial difference for same trades, same type of work. So um, love your thoughts on, on culture. I'd love you to, to, for you to tell me a little bit about your book. So you wrote your book, uh, No Smoke Without Fire, Recipe for Disaster, um, a lot about your experiences. Tell me a little bit about, uh, about the book. It's available on, on Amazon. Um, but I'd love to hear from your perspective some of the key key insights from that book. Well, it, I, I never considered myself to be an author. I, uh, after the explosion, um, I did take some uh, counselling, and and I had a very hard time dealing uh, with the effects of the of the disaster. And uh, my counsellor suggested that if I couldn't talk to anybody, and, and that included my wife even. That I should just write my thoughts down on a piece of paper and and stick mm. it in the drawer, which I did, and and um, so I had all this paper in the drawer, and and when I finished my uh, 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 career and, and retired three years ago, I still, you know, um, felt there was some more I could contribute, so. Mm. I, I started on this uh, venture of uh, writing a book. Uh, it became a manuscript. I I, I sent it <laughs> off to uh, an editor, Rick Johnson from Winnipeg Beach, and uh, he, he he was formidable in terms of giving me advice and, and coaching me through the process. Um, one of the things that Rick had mentioned was who 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 is your target audience? Yeah. And I'd never even considered it to be honest. Uh, and he said, you know, if you're writing it for people that work at the mine. You don't have to be very descriptive in in uh, what you're talking about because they they know what you're talking about. But if you're writing right. to people that have never been in a mine, you need to be more uh, detailed. Mm-hmm. Not in mind. If you get into too much detail, uh, you'll lose the people that uh, that work in the mine. <laughs> so there's a, <laughs> there's a there's a fine line there, and and uh, so I. It's a it's a simple read. It's not a it's not a complicated read. Um, uh, people that have read it uh, 
from other industries, um, worked in pulp and paper and uh, and construction and um, and the oil and gas industry have, uh, that have read it have said, well, you know, I can relate to this. This this happened right. in our industries, and uh, and and I'm, I'm I'm pleased to hear that that, that it's 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 reaching and it's more broad broader than than even I anticipated. Um, it's it's won a, a Canadian Book Award. Uh, it's posted on their, mm-hmm. their website, which I was very very pleased about. Um, it's available in Kindle format, paperback, and hardcover on the Amazon, uh, and it's also available worldwide through their Amazon distribution um, system. Yep. So it's 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 been well received from from not only. Um, the, uh, the the shop floor, but right through to the boardroom. Uh, in terms of, uh, I've had people in senior management positions that have acknowledged uh, uh, it, as well as um, you know people that have uh, that work at in the organisation at pretty well every level. So it's 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 a good book for people going into the industries. Um, yep. It's I think it's a good book for supervisors. You super mm-hmm. to learn from because it talks a lot about their responsibilities and what can, what they should be looking for, what what yep. traits are of uh, a good supervisor, and, mm-hmm. uh, which is so important and a challenge and struggle that so many organizations face is is how does the frontline leader inspire? How do they drive the right uh, behaviors uh, to drive safety at the, at the front line? Well, they, they, I, it's it's my belief and my observation after forty nine years that the, the the frontline supervisor is one of the, the key players in terms yep. of influencing the workplace, in terms of setting the standards, making sure that you know the the people that are working directly for him are doing mm-hmm. the right thing at the right time. I completely agree, and and, and so often I've talked to frontline team members who. Uh, pretty much would say, I really don't care about the VP. I don't care about the president or the CEO. What really matters is the person who's who's there, who gets what I do. That's the person that I listen to. And and so that's the biggest opportunity that most businesses have is is really engaging at that level because there's only so much a CEO can do in terms of connecting with every worker. Yes, I, I couldn't agree more. Eric. And, and the other, the other thing that I, I, I point out in the book that it's, it's seldom um, the supervisors or, or managers that actually get hurt. It's, it's the workers themselves that are, end up uh, injured. And um, <laughs> yeah, I point out in the book that there's all sorts of safety programs uh, that come into play. And uh, there's uh, again. Um, you know, we talk about who's responsible for safety. And yep. to me, it's a it's a line responsibility. It, it, there's responsibility at every level, including the worker. And that, uh, um, you know, one of the things that the um, the uh, inquiry uh, pointed out that uh, you know the the companies and industries have a right, you know, have an obligation to point out. The hazards uh, yep. that people are, are being exposed to, and provide mm-hmm. training and everything else. And I, I couldn't agree more. Yep. Uh, but there's a checks and balances in that, and the worker has some responsibility too to, you know, um, 
participate in the process. Um, if they see something that uh, doesn't look right or doesn't feel right, they need to challenge that. Absolutely. And it, it, it touches back on something you talked about even earlier in terms of the focus is so so often it's just something doesn't feel right. Sometimes it's even a gut instinct. Uh, sometimes I see something, but it's I, I need to speak up and stop work if, if I see anything that's a little bit off. Uh, and, and that's also a management leadership that I would say is actually mostly a management leadership um, component in terms of how do I create the environment where people feel safe doing that. It's easy to say to somebody, stop work. Um, I was talking to an executive once who was even saying, um, I, I was noticing somebody else was 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 doing something that uh, was was dangerous and was risky. And I was trying to get them to stop work. And I realized that I, I asked my, my leaders to do this every day and I couldn't even make that person stop because um, it's not always that easy. So so even that influence, the, the comfort, the psychological safety, as, as a lot of people talk about, um, all key elements that leaders get a chance to to influence uh, thank you so much for 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 joining me on on the show brian um i i really appreciate you sharing the perspective from uh frontline from 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 a leadership standpoint uh and also going through such a a, a horrific incident like this one um and I, I i appreciate you took the time to write a book to share your story to convey the message because this is such an important message for for so many leaders and team members. Um, and I think your your approach is, is phenomenal. So thank you so much. Have a, a wonderful day. And if you're interested in the book, uh, it's available, as Brian mentioned, on, on Amazon, No Smoke Without Fire. Thank you. Thank you, Eric. And uh, thanks again for, for having me on your podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Safety Guru on C-Suite Radio. Leave a legacy, distinguish yourself from the pack, grow your success, capture the hearts and minds of your teams, fuel your future. Come back in two weeks for the next episode or listen to our sister show with the Ops Guru, Eric McCroskey.